Skip mentioned earlier, I have somebody I want to introduce you to. Uh, if you know or a little bit about our story, I was at a church called Crossroads Church in Atlanta, Georgia, for about seven years prior to uh, planting and starting this church. And they sent us out as church partners, and they've really been partners all the way through uh, up until today. Uh, they continue to partner with everything that we do. One of the biggest pieces that we continue to partner with them on are through missions. So not only local missions, but international missions. Uh, our church has really adopted Honduras. Uh, we send money once a month to two pastors down there who are planting churches like crazy and just doing some really incredible work. But anytime we go to Honduras or really any overseas missions trip, uh, as you hear us talking about, our Pastor Freddie and Sam Will, we're working through Caleb, who is here today, is going to preach. He's going to give us the word of God. And so I just want to introduce you to him. He is a really good friend. He also, uh, he travels the world doing missions work. He's been to South Africa, we were talking about. He went to Honduras three or four times. Next year, he's getting ready to go to India. Uh, and so he's just on the road a lot. So we'll be praying for his family as well. Uh, but like I said, just a good friend. We're coming up, we're doing a pastor's training in September in Honduras. And so he's really helped kind of take the lead on that and what God is doing. And um, the most important thing is, is that he loves Jesus. Amen. So I love to hear from him. So you guys give a warm uh, Bridge Church welcome to Caleb as he comes up to preach to us today. I was already excited to be here. And then that worship, come on somebody, as we say in Alabama where we just moved from, that was awesome, right? I told Daniel when we first got here this morning, it's kind of like Christmas, where you look forward to something and you look forward to something and then all of a sudden it's here and you have the opportunity to enjoy it and then all of a sudden it flies by and you want to slow it down. We started talking about y'all's VBS uh, several months ago and told him that we would love to come and support it as part of the Crossroads group. Of course, Crossroads has been cheering and praying from a distance ever since you've been here. And I want to say a warm hello from everybody. But now that it's actually here and we get to be here, I'm just pumped up this morning, y'all. I hope you don't have anywhere to be for about three hours because we're going to get into the Word. We've got a lot to talk about. I meant, I meant two hours. I was just kidding. But it's great to be here. I got to say, you are blessed. You're blessed with a, an amazing pastor and his wife and his family. And I, I know you know that. But they love God, they do his work, and we just we just continue to pray. And we're we're just so thankful to have the opportunity to work with you here, Honduras, and in other places. But let's not get emotional. Let's go to the word of God today. I have a question for you. What's your favorite thing about the Bible? Someone may say, my favorite thing about the Bible is how timeless it is. It's 2,000 years old, but I can open it up and I find these amazing truths that apply to my life just as much today as the day Paul and Peter and all of the other people wrote it. That'd be a great answer. Someone may say, my favorite thing about the Bible is how it can speak to anyone anywhere. The same message we preach when we worship here is what we take to Honduras, right? The same message that has application for that retired banker who likes to spend his time golfing has application for that single mom who's struggling. Someone says, I love how the Bible applies to everybody. That would be another awesome answer. I'll tell you one of my favorite things about the Bible. It's how the Bible is filled with examples of people normal people 
who walked through life hundreds and thousands of years ago and that God has preserved their stories so no matter what situation we're in, we can go and we can find truth from their strengths, from their weaknesses, from the way God led them through life. That's the backdrop of your study this month in Hebrews chapter 11 because you see, Hebrews chapter 11 has 16 different people named the Faith Hall of Fame, right? Or the Hall of Faith, we sometimes say. And all of these examples in this one rich chapter are designed to say, hey, you know what? You're not the first person going through what you've been through. Your language might be different. Some of the specifics might be different. But God's people have been at this a long time. And if you'll just slow down enough to pay attention and to spend some time learning from them, it might just help you in your own walk of faith today we're going to start in verse 24 and we get to dive into arguably the greatest person on this entire list hebrews eleven twenty four says it was by faith that moses when he grew up refused to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter now when they read this in the first century the book of Hebrews was written to Christians with a background. They were, they were likely Israelites by birth. They came out of it. So they know the story of Moses, right? He's telling them about one of their forefathers. In 2023, in the United States of America, it's probably good for us to pause and just remind us, wait, who's he talking about? Moses, what's he talking about with Pharaoh's daughter? So here's the story of Moses. About 1,500 years before Jesus was born, God's people, the nation of Israel, were enslaved in Egypt. And they were starting to grow. In fact, the Egyptian leader, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, was concerned that, hey, at some point, this nation's growing so quickly. Their God is blessing them so much. What if they grow and they become more powerful than us, even though they are our slaves? And so he issued a command. He said, from now on, if there's a Hebrew male born, you cast it, cast him in the Nile River. That's a messed up population control, but that's exactly what he said. Well, there was a Hebrew couple who had a baby. Moses was that baby. And they didn't want to cast their son away. In fact, the Bible says that they hid him in their house for three months. But it got to that point where, hey, three-month-old, that's hard to keep quiet for too long, right? We've got a six-month-old. God bless her. She forgot how to sleep the past few weeks, so y'all pray for us. But three months, they hide Moses. And ultimately, though, it gets to the point where they can't hide him anymore. So they make a small floating bed. They put him at the edge of the river. Well, Pharaoh's daughter, so Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter comes down and she and her maidens are bathing in the river and she sees the baby. She recognizes right away this must be one of the Hebrew children. But rather than killing him through a, a sequence of events, she adopts him. And Moses, who was born to a slave family of God's people, is raised as Egyptian royalty. How many of y'all um, consider yourselves royalty? Anybody related to a king, to a queen? Okay, well, not spiritual royalty, but as I was, I was, as I was working on this lesson, I thought to myself, what must it have been like to live in the palace of an ancient king? I don't have that experience. I'll tell you the closest thing I have. Last summer, any golf fans in here? I'm a huge golfer. And so the British Open happens every summer. It was in Scotland last year in the birthplace of golf. And y'all, I won a drawing for two tickets to the British 
open. Not just the golf tournament, but some ridiculous hospitality VIP suite thing, okay? So my brother and I fly over there. I walk in that far. I come up to this restaurant that's sitting on the ocean next to the golf course. There are two men in tuxedos. They say, welcome, Mr. Campbell. They open the door. I take my step inside. I look around, and the first thing I think is, I don't belong here. I don't belong here at all. But hey, I won these tickets, so we're going to go through it, right? So we go in and we sit down. There's fruit hanging off the table. There's loaves of bread. There's coffee. There's every juice you can imagine. They come up and they say, hey, just enjoy this for a few minutes. Be patient with us. We're getting the chef ready. He's going to take your custom order. Y'all, I ate the biggest breakfast I've ever eaten in my life, and I'm done. And I'm thinking, okay, that was great. I'm not coming back. I'm going to go watch golf all day. They said, be sure to come back in two hours for lunch. So I come back, and I had the best, I don't even know what it was, the best beef dish that I've ever had in my life. I'm not a dessert person. They bring me some dessert. First of all, it looks so pretty. I'm afraid to touch it and mess it up, but I'm glad I did because, oh, my goodness, y'all. Like, I'm just sitting there. I've got the ocean on my left. I'm eating this food, and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. Anything else we can get for you, Mr. Campbell? Let us take your, oh. And then they said, hey, make sure you come back in three more hours because we have afternoon tea. And I thought, I like this country. I thought, hey, if I come back for tea, will I get to have tea with the queen? Because this must be what royalty feels. I've never had an experience like that before. I think about what it must have been like for Moses to grow up as royalty. And not just royalty. Keep in mind, Pharaoh is the most powerful person in the world at that time. Egypt's wealth, the pyramids, the Sphinx, all those things come from this period of history. He had everything. It's an incredible story. A slave baby who was raised as Pharaoh's grandson. But you know what's even more amazing about Moses' story? When Moses turned 40 years old, he walked away from all of it. And he decided, I want to go back, and I want to once again be identified with the people of God. That's the background. Now listen again, Hebrews 11 Verse 24, it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great Reward. There are three things that we're going to notice about faith from the life of Moses. And the first thing I want you to notice is faith sees the bigger picture. Moses, how could you walk away from all of that physical luxury? How could you walk away from every physical, wonderful blessing you could imagine? Because Moses says, I realize there's something physical and there's something spiritual in this world. And there's more than what you see in front of your eyes in this life. Moses says, it says there, the old school King James says, he chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He said, I realize there are some things that are temporary, but there's also something that is eternal in life. And I'm going to focus my attention by faith on that which is eternal. See, faith realizes there's a bigger picture and there's more than just the things that we see and we touch and we feel right in front of us. I'm reminded of another king in the Bible named Solomon. He, of course, comes along a lot later. 
one of the richest, wealthiest kings God's people ever had. This is God's people, the nation of Israel. You may remember that Solomon went through some ups and downs in life. He gets to the end of his life, and he wrote a book, the book of Ecclesiastes. And this is what he wrote in that book. He said, fellas, if you can try it, I've tried it. 20 years ago, when we used to alliterate all of our sermons, I, I, I preached a sermon, and it was, always, it was the letter W, right? He said, I've tried everything in the world. He said, I've chased after women. Remember, he had hundreds of wives. I've chased after wine, pleasure. I've chased after wealth. I've chased after wisdom. I've chased after work. I was a workaholic. I chased after my career. He said, I've checked out everything there is to check out in life. And I, you know what I'm going to tell you? He says at the end of his life, it was all a waste of time. Because at the end of the day, I was made by God, and what God has for me is more important. That's what leads to that statement you've probably heard before, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole, or this is the purpose of man. Faith says, whatever I'm going through right now, it's okay, because it's temporary, and there's a bigger picture. God made us for eternity. And yes, there are things now, there may be temptations now, there may be difficulties now, there may be rewards now, but ultimately we, by faith, are looking for something bigger just like Moses did. As Daniel said, we've worked together and we've gone on trips to Honduras this year, and I hope it's just the beginning and we go on a whole lot more for years to come. One of the things that stands out when we go to a place like Honduras is we see people who live with a fraction of what we have. Their homes are small. They don't have a lot of possessions. But you know what? You find some of the most amazing joy and peace and contentment and faithfulness to God in that environment. Why? Because they realize by faith there's more than what is here in front of us. Life consists of more than the job and the stuff and the house and the car and the clothes that our society has become obsessed with. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he said, we walk by faith, not by, and his point is exactly what Moses learned. That is, there's a bigger picture, and faith says, I'm not going to get hung up in the here and now. I'm going to focus on what God wants me to do as part of his grander plan. We'll keep working that in, but there's a second thing that I want us to notice from Moses as we go a little bit further, and that is that faith focuses on God. We stopped at verse 26. Verse 27 says, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he had his eyes on the one who is invisible. I want to go back to our story. So Moses, when he's 40 years old, makes the decision to go back and identify with God's people. He wasn't exactly an active part of God's people, though, because he killed an Egyptian who was abusing someone of God's people, and he ran and he essentially lived a life in hiding in the wilderness for 40 years. Until one day, he's walking through the wilderness, and he sees a bush. And what was happening with that bush? It was on fire, right? It wasn't burning, but there was a fire, and all of a sudden, the bush starts speaking to him. Well, I imagine that probably gets his attention, and sure enough, it was God speaking to Moses. Do you remember what God said? God said, I've been paying attention to my people, and I've determined now is the right time for my people to be freed from Egypt and to go to that land of promise that I want to give them. Here's what else he said. This is Exodus chapter 3, 
and verse 10. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. God, what do you want to do? I want to deliver my people. God, that's great. How are you going to do it? Well, Moses, you're going to leave the wilderness, and you're going to go marching right back into the palace of the most powerful man in the world, and you're going to be the one who leads my people out of Israel. As Daniel said, we went to South Africa in March. Jake, who's here, I think he's helping in the back, was with me. And we were in the area, the city of Johannesburg and then Pretoria, and then we were going out of these little villages to work with and share the gospel with a bunch of young people. So we're going to go on Monday to the specific village, and we get a call on Saturday. The chief of the village found out the Americans are coming. And the chief said, if you want to come to his village You've got to start out by coming and meeting with him and honoring him, and then he'll let you go to the village. I thought, hadn't exactly been on a trip like this before, but let's see what's happened. So we're invited to go meet the village chief. Next day, we call back. Is it still on, or are we still meeting with the chief? They said, yes. They said, oh, by the way, the chief wants you to bring him a present. We said, what kind of present? They said, the chief feels like a cake. We want you to bring him a cake when you come. Someone yells, this is, this is a true story, someone yells from further down the hall, at least it's not a goat this time. So we think, okay, we're going to go meet with this chief. We go by the store, we pick out a cake. Y'all, we drive up to the property, and I was driving, this is out in the middle of nowhere. We're driving up, there's two houses, one on either side of the road. And our driver said, the chief lives with wife number one in that house, and the chief lives with wife number two in this house. Today, we're going to go to house number two because you're going to meet with the chief in his office. So we come around back. He has two pet cows just wandering around the yard. We go back, and it's a, his office is a hut. It's about a 12-foot by 12-foot hut with some folding chairs. We come in. He's making a big to-do about signing some documents. We don't know what he's doing. We sit down, and y'all, we're sitting there. I've never been with an African chief, so we're sitting there just wondering, what do we do? Finally, he makes a big opening statement. We go around the room. We have the opportunity to say some things. He tried to keep one of the guys on our mission team who's built about like this. He said, would you stay and run my security team? We didn't know if he was kidding or not. He chuckled. We kind of <laughs> did one of those, right? So we're leaving, and I thought to myself, man, the places God will take you and the gospel will give you the opportunity to go. Now, I think about how nervous we were. One of the Ladies on our team, her name is TJ. She said, it felt like some cross of being on trial and being shaken down by a mob boss in the back of a Chicago pizza joint. It was weird, y'all. And I think about how nervous we were and how we didn't know what to do. And that was a chief of a village of a few hundred people. Here God says, oh, Moses, I'm just going to have you walk up into the palace of the most powerful man on earth. Oh, by the way, he's going to know who you are. Remember, you were raised in that family before you killed one of them and ran away. Do you remember Moses' response? Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. He says, I'm all in. He says, send me, I will go. He says, I can't believe you took this long to ask. Thank you for the opportunity. He didn't say any of those things. He said, who am I? Like, God, why would you choose 
me. And there's two chapters in the Bible that show this back and forth between Moses and God where Moses keeps coming up with reasons he's not the right person to do it. And God keeps giving him answers. Moses says at one point, what if they don't believe me? He says at another point, I'm not a good speaker. At the end, he says, just send anybody but me. And as they go through this back and forth, what God finally helped Moses realize was stop focusing on yourself and what you can or can't do. I have a big picture. I'm putting you into the big picture, and I am going to do great things through you. And that's the second thing about faith. See, faith sees the big picture, but ultimately faith also trusts or focuses on God. And I'm going to tell you something. Once Moses went, once he listened to what God said, he was an unstoppable force. Because he stopped focusing on his own abilities, his own limitations, his own weaknesses, his own struggles. And he said, God, I am a vessel and I will go do your work think we sometimes need to be reminded of the lesson of Moses. Because we're like, we know there's a big picture. We know there's an eternity. We know there's more to life than this. And we also know you got Daniel. Let Daniel go do it, right? Or we know you got this person. Man, you should see the way she works with kids. How about Deb putting this together? Is this amazing or what for VBS, y'all? Come on, somebody, right? That was awesome. And we get hung up on not me because fill in the blank. You don't, you don't know how bad I messed up. God didn't want to use me. You don't know what I struggle with. God didn't want to use me. You don't know what I've done. Folks, Moses killed a man and went and hid for 40 years. And God still said, you're the one. And by faith, Moses finally realized it's all about focusing on God. I almost said, because the verse says he kept his eyes fixed, I almost said staring at God is the point. But that's more like, you know, when you wake up and, you, and your toddler's face is right here and you jump, jump in there. So we, we didn't go with that. But faith focuses on God. I, I remember this story in the New Testament. You probably do too. Where the apostles are in a boat. And it's a storm, one of those storms on the Sea of Galilee. And they're going across and they think they see a, a ghost or spirit walking on the water. Who was it? Of course, it was Jesus. So Jesus comes walking on the water. Well, who was that apostle that all, he always had to be the first one to say something, always had to put his foot in his mouth? His name was Peter, right? So Peter says, well, if that's Jesus, Lord, if that's you, I want to come walk on the water to you. Classic Peter. He says, oh, I'm not going to try. I'll fall down. It won't be good, brother. Starts walking on the water toward Jesus. And at first, he's fine. Because he was looking at Jesus. But then all of a sudden, I'm a human being. There's gravity. The wind. It says he saw the storm around him. And when he took his eyes off of Jesus, his faith was gone and he began to sink. It was just a couple of chapters later in the Bible that Jesus told his apostles, why don't you have faith? If you have faith, nothing is impossible. And so Moses, with this life that you know, happened 3,500 years ago, 
He reminds us first that there's a bigger picture, but then second, he reminds us, look, if you just stop focusing on self and you focus on God, there's nothing you can't do in this life. I grew up in a church about this size overseas. My parents were missionaries. I lived in Taiwan for 11 years, Ukraine four, and we were in a church this size. I'm going to tell you, having been there, you're not the ones who are going to grow this church. God's going to grow this church. But he's going to use you and your talents and your ability and your community to do his work. And as long as you go out and faithfully accept his calling, he's going to give the increase. He's going to bring the power because he did it for Moses then. And he's the one that still does it for us today. Three things. I'm old school. I like to keep it simple, right? I get above three things. I forget. I get less than three things. I get all mixed up. So three, three points this morning, right? Number one, Moses' example shows us that faith sees the bigger picture. Number two, Moses' example reminds us that faith focuses on God. Number three, Moses' example reminds us that faith makes an impact on others. Let's read one more time in Hebrews 11. It's verse 28. It keeps going. He says, It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle the blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground, but when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. So let's continue with our story, okay? So Moses, he's born as an Israelite. He's raised as Egyptian royalty. He leaves when he's 40. He hides for 40 years. God finds him. God sends him into Pharaoh's house. He finally stops thinking about himself. He puts his faith in God, and into Pharaoh's palace he goes. Well, did Pharaoh immediately say, yeah, of course you guys can leave. Take these one or two million slaves. I don't need them. No, Pharaoh, of course, stood his ground, and this leads to what we call the 10 plagues, because Pharaoh would say no, and God would say Moses, we're going to teach Pharaoh something about who he needs to listen to in life. Remember the first plague? Water to blood. You know, when I was a kid, I don't know if you did it too, we had these flashcards, and we'd just rip off the ten plagues, but didn't really get into what they meant. Water to blood. The Bible says he took his staff, and he struck the Nile River. And when he did, all of the water in Egypt including the water that they had in their house to wash with, to cook with, to drink, turn to blood. Can you imagine how disgusting that must have been? There's a plague of frogs where there are so many frogs that they could not climb in bed. They could not open a pot to cook with without frogs being all over the place. There were gnats. There were flies, locusts so many they could not see the ground or see the sky. There was darkness so severe it could be felt. And God is bringing these plagues on Pharaoh to say, look, I'm telling you to let my people go. You're going to learn there's someone who rules the universe, and it's not you, Pharaoh. Finally, nine things happen, and Pharaoh won't budge. He's getting weaker, but he won't budge. And then what we just read about happens. God comes to Moses, and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through the land of Egypt, and I'm going to kill every firstborn son. But I'm not going to do that in Israel, and here's how I'm going to know the difference. I want every family in Israel to take a lamb. I'm going to sacrifice the lamb. I'm going to take the blood of the lamb. I'm going to put on the posts of the house. And when my angel of death comes through the land, if it sees blood on the post, it's going to keep going. If it doesn't, the firstborn will die. 
Have you ever thought about how strange some of these things must have sounded when they heard them? Wait, God, you want me to go tell Israel to do what? I'm going to say you've got to get a lamb and you've got to put blood on, what do blood on the doorposts have anything to do with salvation? That's not what Moses says. He led God's people. They did what he said. And that night there was a great cry heard throughout Egypt. Pharaoh finally says what? He says, go. He says, get out of here. And so they start going. They're gone for a few days. Pharaoh comes and he thinks, you know what? That wasn't a great decision. He starts chasing after him. You remember what happened? They keep going forward until they have nowhere else to go because they come to the Red Sea. There's the desert on either side. There's nowhere to go. The sea's in front of them. The most powerful army in the world is marching behind them with their chariots and their horses. And Moses cries out, God, God, he, Moses is always thinking about the people as a leader, okay? He says, God, what do I do for the people? Did you really bring them out here just to let them get slaughtered in the wilderness? God says, oh, no. Remember that staff? Yeah. He says, you hold that staff out over the water. You see what happens. The Bible says that Moses listened to God. He held that staff over the water. The waters divided. A wall on either side. The children of Israel marched through the Red Sea on dry ground safely. As soon as they get through, God closes it up. The entire nation of Israel was saved through the Passover, saved through the Red Sea, ultimately would be saved time and time again because one person named Moses chose to listen to God. I want you to notice, I'm going to read those two verses one more time, and I want you to notice the transition that happens in those last two verses. Hebrews 11:28. it was by faith that who? Moses. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel. And then it goes on. And then in verse 29, after five verses in a row that say it was by faith, Moses, 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 Moses. The next verse says it was by faith that the people of Israel did what God told them to do. You see, what happened was Moses decided to live his life by faith. And it led to an entire nation living their life by faith faith sees the bigger picture faith focuses on god faith makes an impact on others sometimes just like moses then it's the people around us where our faith can make an impact remember that time jesus was teaching in a house and these four guys had a friend who was sick he couldn't walk they have him on a bed and they bring him. We heard Jesus is the great teacher. He's the great healer. So they bring their friend on the bed. All they want to do is they want to get to Jesus because he can heal their friend. Well, they can't get in the house. There's too many people where Jesus is. It says even the entire entry had too many people to get close. So what do they do? They climb up to the roof of the house. I'm from Indiana originally. We said roof. Does anybody say roof or is that just us Indiana folks? Okay, we got one. Everybody else say roof? Whatever it is, they climb up to the top of the house. They lower their friend down through the roof. Jesus sees the man, and Jesus said, the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, the four friends' faith, he said to him, your sins are forgiven, and ultimately get up and walk out of here. Jesus saw the faith of them, and the faith saved their friend. And sometimes when we talk about our faith making an impact, we're talking about the people around us. You have that friend who doesn't get the whole God thing, you have that neighbor who's just 
miserable to be around. Some of y'all looking at each other like this. You know who I'm talking about. Right? You have that spouse who doesn't quite get why you think it's so important or the children, what, whoever it is. The Bible actually teaches in multiple occasions the best thing you can actually do. Yeah, there are words that will help at the right time. The best thing you can actually do is just live by faith. Show them you know there's a bigger picture. Show them you depend on God, and you just walk your life of faith. And guess what's going to happen over time? They're going to see your example, and you're not going to have to beat them over the head with it, but they're going to see your faithfulness. And guess what? Your faith will make an impact on others. Sometimes it's the people around you. Sometimes it's the people that come after you. This is how the story of Moses finishes. He's 80 years old, right? He takes them, saves them from Egypt. For 40 years, he leads them around the wilderness. He takes them up to the land of Canaan. He's 120 years old. You may remember Moses didn't get to take them into the land of Canaan. His mission stopped by getting them there. Guess what Moses spent the final weeks of his life doing? It's called the book of Deuteronomy. And it is a series of messages that Moses gave to the people that essentially said, I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm not always going to be here to show you my life of faith. So here's what you need to know. And here's what you need to make sure you pass on to your children and their children. Because God has a bigger picture than any one of us. And we all have the opportunity to keep his picture and the story of faith moving even when and once we're gone. It's incredible to me that in his final days, Moses didn't think about himself. doesn't even indicate he looked back and just thought about all the things he'd done. No, he was focused on what impact can my faith have on the next generation and the next generation. That was the ultimate legacy of Moses. In fact, I would say here we are 3,500 years or so after he lived, and guess who we're still talking about to learn what it means to live by faith. What an awesome legacy of a man of God. I have five kids. Our oldest. Everybody say hello to my wife, Jessie, by the way. She's sitting here near in the front nice and quietly. She doesn't always get to travel with me, so I'm so glad that she could come this time. I'm going to bring her to another country next year. We just hadn't told her yet. <laughs> Five kids. Right? My oldest, Tori. Tori's 20. Tori loves music and theater. When Corey was in high school, she was in show choir, had different things like that going on. And you know what we did as parents? We did everything we could to support her, right? We're going to the shows. Y'all, some of them were great. Some of them, are we live online? She was always great. Some of them, the rest weren't so great. But we did what we could to support her. Because that's what you do as a parent, right? We have Luke. He's 18. He's going to college this year. Luke's kind of a brainiac. We're, we're dealing with a lot of robotics tournaments, science tournaments, trivias. But he also is a wrestler. He's a wrestler. And for more nights every winter than I think we could count if we tried. Guess where we were? We were cheering for what looked like a bunch of boys wearing underwear, beating each other up in the middle of a gym, right? It stank, but man, it was fun. And guess what we did? We supported him because he was our son and that was his passion. Third son, Ben, he'll be a junior this year, football player. 
typical jock, right? All-American sports guy. Guess where we'll be every Friday night? Cheering for his football. Tyler, seven. There's a lot of kids in this story, y'all. Tyler's seven. Tyler loves soccer. Tyler loves Star Wars. Guess what we do? We support him, and we watch the Star Wars with him, and when he's got soccer, we make sure he's there, and we do that. Molly, seven months old. Molly slobbers, right? She'll figure the rest out later. And whatever comes up, you know what we'll do? We'll support her. That's what you do. We support our kids. We support our grandkids. We're there for them. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. Look into the life of Moses and the way he thought about a big picture that extended way beyond him. God forbid. The most they get out of us from life is that it's important to support their activities and the things they care about. Because if they don't realize in spending time with us as their parents that there is a God and he has bigger things and more important things for me than just coming to my soccer games and cheering for my wrestling or my chess or whatever it is, then we've missed the point and opportunity God has given us as their parents. Are we thinking about not just the people around us, but why can't we make our legacy be what that was of Moses? We're going to live like there's a bigger picture. We're going to learn that it's about God and not me, but we're going to help bring up the next generation that does the exact same thing. That's why I get to preach under these cool jellyfish. That's what VBS is all about, right? That's why we do this, because we care and we know they are the future, and we want the opportunity to just plant a seed that one day might grow into one other person who plants a seed, that one day might turn into a generation of people that realize this life is about so much more than we've made it. It's so much bigger than us. It's about God and the life and the love that he wants us to experience on this earth before we go and spend an eternity with him in heaven. So here's the question. Moses lived by faith. He saw the big picture. He leaned on God. He thought about the impact he could have on others. Will we choose to live that same life of faith today? My challenge to you would be, if not, why not? Will you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for this awesome opportunity to come together to study your word. We're thankful that you've preserved the stories of people like Moses, that you took care of him then, but that you now use those same stories to sharpen us, to challenge us. God, we're just thankful for the Bible, that it's relevant to us today, that we can find what we need in it today. And most of all, we're thankful that you are real, you are powerful, you are still here, ready to work in our lives. And God, we just want to ask you to help continue our journey of making it all about you, pointing people to heaven. And especially, Father, as we come together with these amazing families and kids over the next three nights, we ask that you would bless our efforts. We give you all glory, God, and we say these things in the awesome name of Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to the Bridge Church Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about our church, you can simply visit our website at thebridgebluffton.com. Have a blessed day.